this is Jay Heasley, and this is All Your Things Are Gone. Tonight, or tomorrow, or maybe yesterday's guest is Corey Prince. I want to talk to Corey because he has a great love for history. He was in a great many bands. Uh, we've been friends for a long time, on and off for 25 years. He's in my wedding, and uh, I have great respect for him and his uh, idea of history. He loves history, and I've, he's a great addition to what we're talking about here and not forgetting where we came from and where we are and where we're going. So uh, please uh, take a listen, and have a, I hope you have as much fun as I did talking to Corey. This is All Your Things Are Gone. Do it. So. Does that wire this? It's not going to wire. Oh, it does. Oh, that's a, yeah. that's a stick. Okay. Um, oh, it's very cool. It's blue. So who are you? Oh, you're recording. Yeah, we're already talking. Right. Yeah. Corey Prince? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Play drums. Yes. Yes. Uh, how long you... Well, uh, how long, where do you get from? Where do you, where do you come from? Right. So, uh, grew up in Newton Moore Falls. I would say um, probably the thing that was most influential about what really got me into music is that it's a very musical household. Um, my dad played saxophone in jazz bands and big band stuff. Mm-hmm. So I had this whole input from my parents that was all about you know, Benny Goodman, Muggsy Spanier, Billy Holiday, Ella, Stan Getz. And then my sister, who, uh, if you've ever seen the movie uh, Almost Famous, yep. there's a great scene at the beginning when she's leaving the house and she slides her brother a uh, stack of records. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it, it, it was very, I literally watched that scene and I was really struck by it because it was very similar to what I was exposed to. So my sister, I was the youngest of four. My sister was a... Um, a usher at the music hall, uh, which is now the Wang. Oh, really? And, and so now the Bach Center. Oh, uh, Christ. Back, something, yeah. And, and the amazing thing about the music hall at the time is that's where everybody played. So. That's crazy. The Who played there, Zeppelin played there, Pink Floyd did Dark Side of the Moon the first time there. Uh, and you, you know See, the I size never, of that venue. Yeah. yeah. So, never would have guessed that because all I've ever seen there is Family Opera. Yep. Uh, nope. Nutcracker. It was, she was there for years, and we were, in, and to this day, are actually still incredibly close, but she infused, here I was this little squirt, and I think the first album that she got me was actually, and it was the first album I had ever had, was a British import of Tommy, hmm. and I was probably 11. And I was the only kid in elementary school who was like jamming out to Tommy on an English import before it even hit stateside. In in you know she was into Bowie and T Rex and and she used to go to the music hall at night and usher these shows, take pictures at them and stuff like that. And it was it was huge and it and it really actually got me uh, between the two influences between my dad and her. That was probably the main stuff that got me going. 
Well, where did you go from there? I mean, did you play a band in school? Or yeah, well, it's was, it's funny. Were you always a drummer? Or? Yeah, it, I was always a drummer. I, I, typical kid. I took piano lessons for like five or six years. Yeah, do you remember and anything? I played tuba. <laughs> I played fucking tuba. Jesus. And, uh, yeah, now, well, I can... Uh, don't ask yeah, me. Yeah, I want to hear it. I know, Tammy's, Tammy's better than me at those things. <laughs> um, but what ended up happening, and you'll chuckle given what we were just doing, Yeah. I started taking photographs really, really young as well. It's just kind of a creative outlet. And I had set up a dark room in my parents' basement. It was creepy as shit. It was like in a corner room, like 1920s colonial house. And my brother, Ashley, was a drummer. And I used to um, go sit on his kit all the time because I'd be down in the basement all the time. And he had it stored down there. And, mm-hmm. and he, in a very different way, he was very like, he was kind of a, a little more like big arena rock guy. Like he loved Pink Floyd, Steely Dan, Kansas, <laughs> stuff like that, right? <laughs> so I would go down there actually and uh, I just started playing, um, playing his kit all the time. And then it got to a point you kind of realized that I had actually gotten better than him. Huh. And we traded, and uh, I gave him my so dog for the drums. And uh, yeah, I took up, <laughs> I took up the tuba. <laughs> Holy shit. So that, that got me into the. And you know, it, like any kid, oh God, not to go into the sort of. You know, every family's got their fucked up backgrounds, and mine is no exception. And drums were just an incredible physical outlet to just kind of like blow off Let steam. Off. You know? Yeah. And. Uh, so I loved it and went from there and then I probably started jamming, wouldn't call it a band, but with some regular guys. Started in high school was probably when I really first started to play. Then when I got to college, um, went straight into playing in a whole bunch of bands then. Yeah, do you remember so, all of them? Oh yeah, yeah, the, it, probably the, the first one I got in, you know, I was a freshman, I was right out, of, right out of the gates, it was a band called The Young Men, uh, which was total skinny tie. Everything from like Elvis Costello to Clash and was a lot of covers. It, it was predominant. We played a couple of originals, um, and uh, but we played like the circuit out there because that is uh, UMass Amherst, and uh, so we played all, all the way out there. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So, so we we played. You know, we were guns for hire, and I just I just the whole skinny time movement back then was the, the new wave stuff and it was just incredible because. It's funny talking about my bra and I'll kind of back pedal a bit. So when I really started to get into like punk and new wave and you know, here my brother was a little more of like a big arena rock guy and we got along great by the way, but it was just he used to torture me, like I'd be blasting like early U two or like the B fifty twos or mm-hmm. Squeeze or the Clash, and he'd be like, "What? The, what is your shit?" Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like my brother. <laughs> oh man! So I went from that. After that band, you know, I started to meet a bunch of people, and uh, then you just start to create new bands as an output from yeah. that. And sure. um, I had two other bands that happened during the course of UMass. Surprisingly, of which I am in, still in touch with most of the guys hmm. and some who have gone off they're still playing music one of the first guitarists I was with he's in some you know, not that I would necessarily do this but he was in some crazy good uh, 
U2, like one of those national touring U2 cover bands, and he's Edge. And uh, <laughs> that's like his, his shtick now. But it, fantastic, yeah, fantastic guy. And he's, he's I can't still, imagine doing that. I know, I know. But you know what? He, I see some of the stuff he plays. And I mean, for somebody who just, if they love the music and they really want to play, playing in front of, you know, a couple thousand people on a summer night on a, like, city stage somewhere is pretty damn cool. Do you remember Scott Pomeroy? Oh, yeah. Uh, dude never stops. Yeah. He is just constantly working. Yeah. That's all he does. Yeah. Six nights a week, usually, he's playing somewhere. Yeah. I know, You know what? I, I have to tell you, after I got out of college, I never played a cover band again. That was, you know, because that's all there really was at the time. Yeah. You didn't have a market for playing original stuff. And even to this day, I just, I've never, I would rather not play than just jump in. And that's no disparaging comment to the people who decide to play covers. But it, it was, to me, it's it's different creatively and emotionally. I just just don't have a desire to go out there and play other people's stuff. I totally understand that. And, I, and until the band I'm in now, until I've never played a cover. Yeah. Never. Yeah. Oh, no, one time. But... Now it's just like, I'm, I think I'm just a little bit more open to things than yeah. I used to be. Like back then I was like, no, I'm not playing any fucking covers. <laughs> I'm a, I, I, might, I write original music. No one fucking cares about your standards, asshole. Just shut up and play. Yeah. But you know what, there is, there is always, there are some gems in people's catalogs that people never really hear. And so the idea of playing some of those as covers is kind of neat because it's almost like breathing life back into something that just never got its due to begin with. For sure. You know? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not like going out there and playing a Zep song, but if you, you, you pull <laughs> you some... do. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. And, but, you know, you pull some obscure thing out of the catalog, it can be really, really cool. We're, so. uh, we're doing uh, Most of the Time yeah. by Bob Dylan. Okay. You know that song? Yeah. Yeah, and it's definitely not on anybody's radar as yeah. a hit song. It was on one soundtrack, and that's where I heard it, because I'd never heard it before. It's a great song. Awesome. Um, so, you're, so you're in Amherst. So I was in Amherst. What are you doing? So you're still going to school. Yeah, I was going to school. Yeah, so after I graduated... For what? Came, what did you graduate with? Like, it was actually it was pre-law. Wow! Yeah, wow! I was actually pre-law, and, and that. I know, I know. And my my assumption at the time, quite frankly, given kind of family history and shit like that, my my grandfather had grown up on a farm in Maine and uh, almost completely like self-schooled, but mm. he started a law practice and and came, moved down to Brockton, which is where my parents grew up, and and uh, it it there was always kind of this thing this. You know, Atticus Finch type of like, <laughs> hey, let's look at the law in kind of a noble way. Yeah. And and it was funny because when I go into school for it, and you know, you're doing all the Socratic method and all this kind of stuff. I thought everybody was such an asshole in my class. I was like, I never want to be a lawyer. Right. I never wanted to be a lawyer. Like it, it, it always, I was like, oh, you know, I'll go to law school and you know, pass the bar. And then I'm like, I didn't like anybody who was in my class, like no one. So I was like, okay, clearly that's just yeah. not for me. So when I got back home, um, actually uh, started to spin up 
a bunch of bands, one of which was a couple of guys, including you two guy. Um, we spun up, I can't remember the name. Our first, my first gig back in Boston was Chet's Last Call. Do you know, remember Chet's Last Call? Have you heard this one yet? Yeah. Okay. So what was so notorious about Chet's Last Call was, and that was our first gig. That it was called Chet's Last Call. Besides being Chet's Last Call, it was, it was over a porno theater down near the garden. Damn. And um, uh, if you needed to use the bathroom, you actually had to go into the porno theater to use the, use the can. And so it, it was just... It was well, just fucking surreal, and uh, so that was actually my first Boston gig, which oh, was Boston. That yeah, it was. It seedy. was. It was. It was damn seedy yeah. back then, and uh, that band kind of chugged along for a while, and then I ended up reconnecting with one. The in the last band I was in, in the bass players, this guy named Eric Canadian, uh, who was band in a band at UMass called the Allies, and then. We joined up to create this, the last band I was in at UMass, which is called The Beat Surrender. And, uh... All good names. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and and we, we actually joined forces and, um... In, with this other guy, Daryl Manair, actually created The Lemons, which, um... started to do pretty good and cycled through a couple of singers, um... until we ended up on this woman, uh, Nett Farrington, who ended up founding uh, Opium Den later on had a really good solo career yeah and uh, so we were kind of the first what I'd call like rock band for uh, Annette and it had a guy from UMass and then this guy Daryl who he ran oh god I can't remember the name he ran he was the theater manager for the place down near BU it was like an indie movie house down there and uh so yeah, so we started the Lemmings and uh, kicked off that. And it was probably the most serious effort at the time. How long was that? Uh, uh, the Lemmings. The Lemmings had a good run. Uh, <laughs> I think we we kicked it off in '88, and I think we killed it. I basically left it, but I'll get to that in a minute. Um, I think we were done by '91. And um, we came out swinging, incredible band. Annette, it was funny, Annette was classically trained and just had a ridiculous set of pipes and uh, was really manic and angry and just just had a, it, I actually think our best stuff was actually live. It wasn't even ever really fully captured. And uh, so we had a, a string of, we, we had some great gigs, played all the primary places locally. It was like, what I'd say the places we played all the time were the Channel uh, and um, TTs were probably our main places, but we played... TTs? Yeah, TTs was great. That was literally like the Channel and TTs were almost like home. And then we did we played like Johnny D's, Bon Ratties, um, I'm trying to think of some others that we did. We used to play this after-hours thing in the South End called the Bat Cave, which mm. was a complete rogue, illegal place that just, it literally would open up at like midnight and you'd play down there. Right. It was just completely nuts. Um, and then we actually played New York a bunch. We did Knitting Factory and CBGBs. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, it was a good run. So we actually, that band, um, 
we did we did <laughs> it's funny to talk about it because I think of the mediums so we did we did like a a six track tape that got us a lot of attention FNX really liked us so we did a lot around FNX and then we did a four or five song EP and actually we won the first FNX readers poll for best new band and, and embarrassing to admit, by the way, we beat out the Pixies, which yes. it makes my stomach turn to even think about that. I, I literally look at that and That's I'm just crazy. like, yeah, we, we were probably just better minded. Yeah, 88's, what, for, was that the Doolittle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were, uh, yeah, we were probably just better marketers, or we, we had a more active fan base to get out there and participate. Partic- <laughs> so, uh, but it was funny because after that, um, we did a whole bunch of events. We did stuff with AF and BCN and, um, and FNX. And at the time, I don't know if you remember, there was a thing called CMJ, called yep. College Music Journal. Mm-hmm. Um, we got National Airplay, so we got some pretty interesting stuff going on there. And then um, Paul Coldery found a center, if you remember Paul Coldery heard the name. So he was from Fort Apache in oh, Cambridge. Cool. And uh, so they did, you know, throwing muses and, and, you know, they just did an incredible body work. I think they may have even done some pixie stuff over there. And uh, Paul came to one of our events and wanted to produce. And we did a couple more things. Then we had label interest. And... Uh, we just, I, I'll, I'll tell you point blank, I talk about this with Tim all the time. We, uh, you know, labels tend to go, show me more, show me more, show me more. And we just weren't grinding them out fast enough. Really? Yeah. So, yeah. so we, had, we had multiple labels that were kind of knocking on the doorstep and asking for stuff. And uh, played with some, by the way, it was funny, we were chatting about bands, played with what I considered like at that scene at that time was just so freaking incredible. We played with like, Tribe and Galaxy 500 played a bunch oh, of gigs man, like Galaxy, huh? yeah yeah uh, Blake Babies did a bunch of uh, gigs Damn. with the Blake Babies um, yeah it was it was you know there was a couple other bands that I really liked it was like a band called Think Tree uh, Volcano yeah. Volcano Sons uh, Cave Dogs which were a huge favorite right who I just the Cave Dogs were just pop gems incarnate they were just Volcano Sons so that. Um, <laughs> The bass player, or there was a drummer, was in Shellac, right? Yeah. Yeah, Bob yeah. Trainer. Yeah. So yeah, great run. And uh, Rat was another one we had played a bunch, which was obviously classic. But yeah, that was fun. That was a uh, that was a great gig. But ultimately, it was like we get picked up, and you know, I think I was working two jobs at that time. Like I was doing construction during the day, and then. You know, waiting on tables at like Bennigan's and Framingham at night, and I, I, yeah, Bennigan's. So I mean, I, I don't know. There's so many things here that you're listing that like don't exist anymore, which is, which is more or less like what we're, what we're like yeah, trying yeah. to get at. That all these, all these places disappear, and yeah. either people forget about them, or and then there's, there's a, there's a vacuum. Yeah, is really what it comes down to. Yeah, because you can probably count the number of like indie clubs and. Boston, yeah. on one hand, yep. maybe, maybe now, yeah, it's yep. insane, and that, and that's so that's the problem. I mean, that's where I'm getting at as far as the difference between even then and then even in the '90s, it was still like vibrant. Yeah, 
And now yeah. it's yeah, it's it's hey. like yeah, it's it's sad and in, in kind of like we were chatting before we flipped this thing on and mm-hmm. it was so there were so many good bands at the time. Um, you could literally go out almost any night of the week and knew like you never had to really kind of plan it out. You just look for one of those new music nights and just kind of cycle around. And we were practicing actually the we had a we had a practice space out of um, Charlestown over the in the, the Schrafs factory. Kind of oh, like this yeah, this wing of this I don't even know what the Schrafs factory has become, but it was it's probably condos. It's probably condos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we, we had a space and it was in this weird section of the warehousing building and there was like a couple of artists in there and shit like that. Mm-hmm. And so we would practice at night and we were practicing three nights a week. And we, we, yeah, we, we were all in. Yeah, we were, we were freaking all in. And, uh, and we generally go out and see new music at the end of it. And there was just ample places to go. Damn. It was cool. Yeah, we loved it. Just ain't like that. And I was just thinking while you were talking there about um, one saying that I remember all the time from people is that uh, there's too many bands in Boston. Yeah. I'm sure you heard that. Too many I actually bands. haven't heard that. You mean like now? Uh, maybe in the 90s. Okay. Like I remember people saying, too many, there's too many bands in Boston. That's and you, you always would ask yourself if you were in a band, you're like, why don't, I, why don't bands ever make it out of Boston? Yeah. And inevitably everyone's answer was like, because there's too many. Too much competition, like, and I was like, "All right, well, okay." Yeah. Now, now I'm thinking about it. Whereas, since there's been such a, uh, a thinning out of clubs, that I think that there's less places to play, which I think kind of more or less deters people from ever starting a band. Yeah. What the fuck do you do? Like, yeah. After, you know, if you ever start a band and then you're like, you get nowhere, and you're like, yeah. now, no place to play. And you know what? You know what's kind of. You look at a discouraging thing. Um, so the last couple of projects I've been in, so I, I played with a woman, Jennifer Teft. Uh, yeah. Had a bunch of CDs out, and it was in the Jennifer Teft band. We played together for a couple of years, just a few years back. And now um, have this gig going with Cast Irons, and, and who are just amazing song portfolio and a bunch of great guys. Um, you know, w- what is kind of depressing is you'll go out and you know, you'll you'll see the Pearl Jam cover band, and they'll pack a, they'll pack a room. They'll oh, for sure, pack a room. And and I get it, I get it. It's it's not like sour grapes. It's just the way the way people want to consume their music is just so different. They just you know, I, I, you can kind of see why the clubs went that way. Nobody was freaking going. So it's, it's it's real. I mean, the TTs is gone, and it's been swallowed up by the Middle East. But I went yeah. to the Middle East. Maybe in January to see Eric. Yeah. And the schedule was bare. Yeah. Bare. Nothing. Yeah. And they make more money on their dance night. Yep. And they run it now. They run it like three days a week. They used to just run it one day. Oh. And now it's taken over like two or three of the rooms there. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yep. And and the and the kind of the demands and the expectation of the bands um, has changed a lot too, just in terms of like booking policy and you know how they're going to do it like I I, you know as a drummer for example um, you know everything is backline now right for the most part because they don't want they don't want to waste the time in between the bands right but when you think about it 
you know, every band's got its own identity, and and it's kind of weird. Even as a drummer, you're like, I'm gonna play somebody else's fucking kid, and and you, you, you learn to do it. But when I think about some of those bands that I used to go see, and like, you know, a, a great example, like um, going with uh, Tree to Write, for example. Okay. Yeah. Tree to Write, they they had a Marchana. Yeah, and he had a. Uh, by the way, he had actually come out. Um, he loved Annette. Uh, Annette Annette had a lot of fans, but I'll bring up another story. <laughs> sure. uh, More stories. Yeah, oh yeah, it's, an, it's actually a really funky story because one of it actually bred out of the, one of the Batcave when we did that kind of road club. Thing. Where was this place called? Uh, I'll have to find the address. It was called Batcave East. And it was literally, I don't even know who ran the thing, but it was complete rogue after hours <laughs> club and bands would play it and there's uh, no way that shit would go on no way no no, no there's no way and it was just it was just debaucherous it was a freaking blast but um they did treat right at the cocktail kit right and that was treat right i, mean, I want to say morphine or treat right but i think it was treat right and but but you know when i think about like the identity of all of the bands like think tree was playing electronic kit all the bands that i love like the slaves you know, the guy was just like a Keith Moon incarnate, complete with bowl hair, and mm-hmm. he was—he was just killer. And you know, now it's just like, okay, you got to use the back line, and it's just like a pedestrian drum kit that you'd see, and yeah. like, you know, you go down a guitar center and it'd be sitting down there. So it's—it—it's it, it, it's kind of unfortunate that that kind of part of it is falling away. But like, even just the whole gigging structure is just a lot different now too. It is. Uh, just played a gig and and really I think you say it's the clubs which I which I I believe it is yeah. in a lot of ways uh, but people are fucking lazy yeah. <laughs> they want to bring their and our our, our drummer who's pretty you know pretty particular about his yeah. drum kit but I was, he's like I'll just I'll just use Trevor's drum kit yeah. it's like really? you need yeah. his kit I like you don't really have a choice, though. I know it's just crazy. You have to acquiesce. It's like driving somebody's car. It's it's not. It was still a fucking shitload of equipment. Then. I know. You know, I know. It's like, it wasn't I know. like they were saving a shit ton of space. No, I, you know, to, I, I just assume they're 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 just trying to save time, right? And the in in complexity of like resetting up stuff, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. No, I understand. Which which I totally get. So so funny little story about Annette. So again, Annette, she was killer stage presence, and uh, we we got along great. And uh, like I said, had a lot of energy on it. So one of those Batcave gigs, um, Pat Nunzio from Smithereens came, and just like was completely like completely smitten by her, and she um, he was going to do a show at Great Woods, and invited her to go and get backstage and stuff like that so mm-hmm. it came to me and I, I remember we were actually at the rat because we used to go to just to eat yeah and hang out and shit anyway because the upstairs was so awesome and um i remember she's like hey will you like go with me this guy pen and smithereens he's like <laughs> he's asking me to go to this thing you out and uh, so she goes like, "Would you come along, like pseudo bodyguard, right?" So I was like, "Yeah, yeah, sure, let's go." So we went down, and um, kind of the, the the funky thing about the night was they played a double bill with Belinda Carlisle, and then it got really weird. 
so we're backstage, show ends, and they're like, oh, we're going back to the Four Seasons. When are you, like, man, yeah, when are you, like, <laughs> Was this come back to- in town for the night or something like that? Or- yeah, they were just, like, so they were playing the gig at, yeah. at, at Great Woods. And, oh, wow. And um, so, you know, Pat was still, obviously, hoping to get into a Nets pants. Uh, sure, sure. So he's like, oh, yeah, you know, why don't you come back to the Four Seasons? So we go back, and, and again, I, I was thinking of this, and I think, wow, that's just so bizarre. So we're we're back at the Four Seasons, and a couple of things happened. So we're we're sitting there. I made some drunken remark to Belinda Carlisle. I think she was ready to like smash a bottle over my head. And in walks Squeeze, who were playing apparently at Great Woods the next night. And um, fuck, I can't believe I'm drawing a blank on his name. Game player has a TV show. Oh fuck! I have no idea. Um, oh, Paul Schaefer? <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. He's phenomenal. Oh my god! I can't believe. Can I look him up? Um, so he ends up walking in with Squeeze, and they he takes over the piano, hmm. and all of a sudden these guys like hung out in the lounge, jamming out songs like literally till like two in the morning. Um, and I always thought it was just kind of the coolest thing. Oh my god, I can't believe I can't remember this guy's name. You'll you'll know what I say. He has a TV show. Yeah, he's he big big British um, personality. Oh oh, I think I know what you're talking. About. Uh, hold on. No, Paul Kerr, I I think. Why can't I find this? Oh, man. I can't believe it. He's like it. a talk show? Yeah, it does, he does like a... He does a talk Oh, he does a... Yeah. I don't know. That's going to drive me crazy. Chris Holland? Oh. Chris Jules Holland? Holland? Jules Holland. That's yeah. right. His right. real name's Chris, apparently, because I'm looking on Wikipedia. There you go. Yes! So he climbs behind the keys and starts mm-hmm. jamming out songs all night. And it's, yeah, it's just... It was crazy. So, mm. Yeah. There you go. All from a little back KBs. Weird. Yeah. So, I mean, after you're done, you're, so the lemmings are over. So lemmings were over. Uh, I ended up leaving just from the sheer fact. It was just, you know, we had had enough of each other by that point. I think three years is a good lifespan. For yeah. Me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, unless you're Foo Fighters or yeah. some shit like that. So, walked away. We were still, you know, I don't want to say we were peaking, but it was... We were in a good spot. It wasn't like we were in de- decline. It was yeah. just, it had just run its course. So, at the time, there was a guy, Tim Merman, who was the bass player, the original bass player, Eric, by the way, had packed up after we did the first EP, played for probably about another year, and he, he moved, he moved west because he wanted to be like in a metal band. Like, it was all, it was all the time. Like, it totally fit him. I'm like, dude. Freaking phenomenal bass player, and uh, he just he vanished into <laughs> L.A. Somewhere. I, I don't even know where the guy went. And and so we had this guy Tim Merman who was um, we recruited, you know, classic like using the Phoenix to like find players. Oh, really? And uh, he was he was killer. He had, he had actually, despite my uh, misgivings about the entry point, had actually come out of Berkeley and. Uh, <laughs> but he was a great guy, and he, as soon as I was like, I am out of this band, uh, he was like, I'm coming with you. So we went off, we found another band called the Furious Wigs, 
um, which was actually probably one of the most favorite bands that I ever played with. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a we had a guitarist that clearly idolized Joey Santiago from the Pixies and just did this choppy manic crazy guitar crap. And uh, we we start playing out, got a freakishly good response. Um, and then uh, the lead singer songwriter ended up bailing out of the band because he fell he, he fell in love. Oh. And uh, yeah, he uh, he couldn't he couldn't reconcile the time he needed for the band. It was just it was Is he just still up today. You know, I, I, I he's one guy I've just completely lost touch with. But that went on for a while uh, after the Lemmings break up. Again, had some great gigs and made some great music with those guys. And uh, and then after that, it was actually uh, my daughter was born, and so I cabled it for a while mm-hmm. to be a dad. A good amount of time. I probably I probably didn't touch a band. I still played. Yeah. Like I always had my drums up mm-hmm. and stuff. And um, oh gosh, probably tabled it a good ten years. Did you miss it? Uh, I'll be completely honest. No, the trade-off. It, it, so many people have asked me. Like, I'd run into people and they'd be like, "Hey, who are you playing with?" And I'm like, "Yeah, hey, truck." Um, <laughs> it, it, to me, to me, that's a really hard lifestyle to sustain. I mean, I obviously you have kids, yeah, and you know, marriage and stuff like that. So, and job, obviously, yeah. yeah. So, were you still working construction? What were you doing? No, time? well, like, I, it was during the Lemmings, actually, when I joined Newberry Comics. So, I was a customer uh, who used to shop in the Burlington store, and uh, because I actually was working at Hanscom Air Force Base, which is where my oh, construction yeah, was from. Uh, I was actually doing um, dormitory renovations for a construction firm, hmm. and uh, so I used to run over to Good job. Yeah, it was great. It was, um, to be honest with you, it was it, it. I got into the trades out of school because it was just so lucrative, mm-hmm. and I, I just did physical labor, which is probably why I play the drums. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I loved it. Right, and I debated actually. I don't care about my legal degree. Like I literally, <laughs> I debated the trades for. Yeah, a long time, and in the only more trades than today. Yeah, I know, I know. The, the the thing that kind of steered me away from it was, uh, you know, I'd see a bunch of these broken down guys that like my knees kill. Yeah, at like forty forty five, and I'm like, ooh, like they literally like I'd see them in the morning before they got going and like got oiled, and and <laughs> or these popping. Yeah, they're just they're cracking, punching, and yeah. and. You know, the, it, it just, you could just see the fatigue, and I was like, Eey. I mean, Jesse's dead. Oof. Yeah. He's hunched over. Knees are just. Ah, oh, yeah, it's brutal. And knees, you know, it was funny because I, I did I did a lot of concrete work, which was just brutal. Like, incredible from a strength perspective, but it just terrorized my body, like, compressing yeah. my back and shit. Mm-hmm. But it's just bad news. So, at any rate, so it, it, you know, I started the Newberry thing. It's kind of like just a, hey, you got a job opening here? And, I like uh, records. Yeah, I like records. I like records. And, and the other thing at the time is I knew how to like build shit. Yeah. So that was back, we can go into the old time machine here, <laughs> yeah. back in New Recon's when we built 
And the bins. We yeah. built all the bins. So, like, you'd have an LP bin, you built it in the back room, mm-hmm. right? So, yep. I, could, I could build shit. And uh, so, the love of music and building shit kind of came together with Newberry. And, and then it ended up, it just, it was fantastic people and fit kind of my music lifestyle. And I stayed there 10 years. 10 years. Yeah. I see a lot of that. Yeah. And I shouldn't have. <laughs> I should have got out. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, it, I will say to this day, and even you sitting here, bar none, it was the coolest people I've ever been around. Like, so much so that I still want to be around them. So it wasn't, like, almost every other job you ever have, like, if you leave the job and don't stay in touch with people, you're kind of like, yeah, yeah, hey, that's okay. But, you know, there was there was a core of Newberry people that I just, I really, like, connected with that I still chat with today. For sure. I mean, obviously, some of the best people I've ever met, case in point, my downstairs, my, my wife. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, and I think everyone I know who I'm still in contact with, which is a decent amount. Yeah. I mean, not as much as I was even when I left. Yeah, it's dwindled a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I don't fucking care about you. Uh, <laughs> the people who I still and they'll all say the same thing. It's like I met. My best friend there. Yeah. Or I met yeah. my wife there. Or whatever. Yeah. You know. But it was great. I I would say if anything about that organization that was just you know we we and you know it because you and I have worked together like we didn't take just anybody and there was something about general chemistry. I mean we fucked up from time to time. Sure. And brought in some losers but it you know for the most part there was something just about the characteristics we look for that it it freaking worked and mm-hmm. and like they weren't only just great employees they were just great fucking people and i just you never see it like that you really never see it like that no and the the heyday was long over. Yeah. i mean you know it ended couple years after I got yeah. there, you know, it was yeah, yeah. people started to move on and yeah. kind of lost that core mentality and, biz- you know, obviously the business model changed immensely, obviously. That. When Napster. Yeah. I mean, and that, that's, that's where you, we were talking downstairs about uh, the way people consume it. Yeah, yeah. And it's just different. And I think it's had its ebb and flow because... You know, I was reading yesterday that CD sales and downloads are down like 80% yeah. from 10 years ago. Yeah. So not, people aren't even downloading anything yeah. anymore. So, you know, who, where are they getting music? Are they getting music? Yeah, are they just streaming it? Or? Yeah, they're streaming. They're doing stuff like Pandora, as yeah. I have my Ray LaMontagne Pandora station playing downstairs. Listen, my apologies. I love Spotify. <laughs> I have it. I use it. But I still buy music. Yeah. I still buy it. Yeah. Because I want it. Yeah. And I, there are people in my band who are lamenting the, the, the dying of music industry and or, but they don't fucking buy shit. I'm like, you're, you're the, what it's the part fuck of the are reason. you doing? What yeah, the, it's part of the reason. You can't fucking complain. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is, you know, that whole transition. It's funny. I can't remember if you went to any of those, but even, even like going to some of those radio or, or recording industry conventions mm. with Newberry. Um, th- that transition, that evolution of the industry was identified years before it hit. And they just chose to ignore no, it. And I think they were just a bunch of fat cats that 
just for letting the good times roll and, and didn't want to figure out a battle plan. And, and then by the time they it was upon them, they just had no fucking plan and had no idea what to do. And it just swallowed them whole. They just whole. got eaten up. Oh, they just swallowed them whole. And, you know, I look at it now as even like... Um, you know, I, I guess I'm sure you probably have the same thing. I have boxes and boxes and boxes of fucking CDs. And I'm like, yeah, it's great, but you know what? I won't even take the time to, like, comb through them to find that CD that I want to play sometimes. Like, I have, a, I, have a, I have an inner circle of shit that I love, and I'll play it all the time. But that, the outliers where I was like, yeah, I got that really cool box set of, <laughs> you know... Mama Cash. No, I'm not saying. I don't, have, I I don't say, think I have any Mama Cash. <laughs> no, but you know, you, you'd have those those wacky, like, yeah, I got the Depeche Mode 12-inch box set. I never freaking <laughs> play that, you know? But anyway, yeah, that was, that was a good time. So yeah, Newbury, after construction, the Newbury thing came upon. And then right when I ended up leaving Newbury, and there was a couple other people that I worked with who did the same thing, Right towards the tail end of it was the internet boom, boom, and and it was at a point when I don't want to, you know, dilute my skills and capability, but they were basically taking anyone, right? <laughs> so it 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 was something where they were building an entire segment, an entire industry, and nobody had the background, mm. right? It wasn't like yeah. it wasn't like oh we're going to hold out for the right candidate, like. It was freaking wild west. Like there was no, there was no map. So, you know, all of those companies, startups, just started opening their doors to people who had. So you learned all the shit and stuff that you even still do now, right? Yeah. That yep. You yep. Learned it it learned it all on the fly, and and I will tell you, it took a took a major bath financially. Even like New York Comics was a good employer. They 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 paid well for yeah. what we were doing, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I went over and I, I think I, my pay was cut by like more than half, sixty oh, percent when crazy. I jumped out. And but I had faith to kind of like came back. Yeah, yeah, I came back. <laughs> and and but I knew you know it was something that it, I I kind of saw. You could kind of see what that future was going to be, and there was just so much energy in it. Did you yeah. ever work with music when you were doing internet? Like, what? I did. So, it's actually a great question. Nobody ever asked me that. So, when I took the leap out of um, out of Newbury, I first place I went was a startup called Roxy.com, and they sold satellite systems and electronics, and uh, it was it was. The, Primarily owned by a company called Fingerhut. Do you remember the company? Fingerhut. Okay, so from there, so anybody who's gone through that cycle, you've you've experienced the uh, like what it's like to actually show up to work one day and like the company closed. Yeah, it's like locking the door. Yeah, it's not even like it's not even like hey, you get laid off. It's like the company just like just fucking vaporizes, (laughs) right? It's just it's it's mind blowing. So I I end up going from there to. a company called iCast. Mm-hmm. So this was when music came back. Really? And so iCast, it was perfect blend. So I had started to cut my teeth on the tech stuff. And then this company iCast was started by CMGI. Do you remember the name? No. All right. So this, this, is, this is a good one. This is a good question for like barroom trivia. <laughs> so before Gillette Stadium, the first naming rights of Gillette Stadium was CMGI. Hmm. They won the rights, 
Interesting. And it was going to be called CMGI. I don't even know if it's a CMGI. Arena. Arena or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was a, a tech high flyer out of Andover. They had multiple properties, uh, a company called Navisite. Uh, they had a search engine company called MyWay. And then they spun this thing up called iCast. And basically, iCast was a multimedia user content and, and published content platform. So it was, I'm not kidding you when I say this, it was really, it was YouTube before YouTube. Hmm. Really? Yeah, totally. And what year was this? So, that was probably 2000. And uh, way Did ahead. Did it work? Way ahead. Absolutely. So the, the, the problem was, and a couple of cool things about the company, the, the, so we had an office up in Woburn, and, and what we did, my primary project was I owned a streaming tuner called the iCaster <laughs> that you literally had this interactive globe and I could pick stations from around the world based on how on the globe. Huh. Like I could go, hey, I want to listen to that station, South Africa, right? Weird. And then the other thing that we did was we had a platform for, again, sponsored or or user uploaded content. We even had in-studio facilities so that we could do, um, we could have a band come in and actually run through the streaming tool, a live feed of the band and have chat forms going on, all this other shit. And it was incredibly inventive. And uh, so as part of that, the, the thing that was the death now, and by the way, a couple of things that I always remember when I did that I was working on, we did a, uh, like a Hanson. <laughs> we, did a, we, did a, we did a Hanson thing, and then we did, and I had never heard of them. You'll chuckle when I tell you, there was two bands that had just come out and started using the platform, that had just started, Queens of the Stone Age. Oh, shit. And we did a thing with Queens of the Stone Age, and Nelly. Oh, wow. Huh. And it was, it was, it, who the fuck knew? But it was so early on. It was like these these they were getting involved and they were really curious about it, and uh, it was fantastic. But the thing that ended up killing the brand was bandwidth had not cut up with media delivery. So West Coast East Coast was fine. The Heartland was still on freaking dial up for Christ's sake. Yeah. So they couldn't even upload watch. We were constantly optimizing the content to try to, hey, how's Kansas doing? And their ability to like watch, watch Queens of the Stone. Watch it in 100 DPI. Oh my God. So, so that ultimately turned out to be the death knell of the company because we couldn't, the infrastructure hadn't caught up yet. Hmm. The idea was freaking spot on. Yeah. Uh, but it didn't, it didn't, uh, it didn't click as a bandwidth. Hmm. So, so we were around uh, for a couple of years, and similar to Roxy, it was a came in one day and there was a shingle on the door and say, "Pack your things. Here's your check. Thank you for your service." And uh, we we're all on our merry way. So, how did you end up at Microsoft? So, that kind of as a consequence of that, I realized, hey, this is a really cool, funky industry, and. Uh, Quite frankly, and I'll, I'll just kind of simplify what I do, but basically because of my background, 
whether it was like Newberry, whether it was construction, whether it was you name it, I had a natural ability to kind of demystify technology into stuff that people could understand. So I would help define products and then talk about products in ways that took away all of that smoke and mirrors bullshit that engineers tend to love, yeah, right? Because sure. it made them feel important and extra smart and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And that just led from one company to the next. And, mm. and then, along the way, was ramping up music again. Yeah. By the way, there was a ton of ton of musicians in tech. It was really kind of funny. To, Were you playing at all at that time? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did, I did a couple of things. Um, do you remember a band? There was a, a jam cover band called Almod Cons. Ever seen them? Yeah. Like they were good enough that like they'd sell out shows in like Brighton, hmm. not not Brighton, Mass. Like Brighton, England. Brighton, England. Right. Um, they just they just you know they played Germany and and UK and and they were just an incredible jam cover band. And, <laughs> just jam songs, huh? Just jam songs. That was it. And and uh, I knew the I knew from Newbury Comics, in fact. Uh, knew the guitarist uh, and, and primary singer who looked nothing like Paul Weller, by the way. Um, I don't think anybody wants to look like I know. And, and so we started to ramp up a bunch of stuff that was a little bit of covers. I mean, a little bit of originals, mostly covers, but we went way obscure, really early small faces, 13th floor elevators, early kinks. Like, we were just... and. Unfortunately, people didn't appreciate it to the yeah. same level that we do. We were like, hey, this stuff, you know, 3D mocks of... You mean the faces, right? Yeah, yeah. No, small faces. Oh, my God. It was like, yeah, we were Before totally... blonde dipstick. Yeah. Yeah. So we uh, we had a great time with that, and, and we were called the Dills, and that was fun. Um, and then I took a hiatus again for a couple of years. And, and now you're here? Now, yeah, well, I went, I, I did the gen thing, yeah. which, by the way, funny little story to have if you want me to keep rambling. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. Go. So, Tim Rice. Yeah, Tim, yep, the, right? Yep. Photographer guy, ex-Newbury. Mm-hmm. So he worked at the Framingham store when it was next to Child World in that little plaza. And Tim and I got to know each other way back. I mean, I, I've known Tim 25 plus years yeah. now at this point. Maybe I knew the name. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, don't, I think I've met him once. Okay. So he was very much a staple. Great guy. He and he ends up, he lives out in this area, and I, I had stayed in touch with him and run into him from time to time. And that, you know, in music circles, ran into him a lot. And he he rings me up once and he goes, Hey, this, you know, this woman, Jennifer Trash, she put a band together and she'd taken a little bit of time off. And, and, and think you, like, musically would be a great match and your drumming style and everything. And and uh, unbeknownst to Tim at the time, my house had just burned up. So I was like, okay, what do I do with this? So I, I Tim knew about the fire and I told him about the fire, but I didn't want to tell Jen or the band because I didn't want to get, like, the sympathy vote. I'm like, yeah, I want to go in there and kick ass. <laughs> so... I ended up pulling my drums out and actually practiced for the audition in the burned out shell of the house here. Mm-hmm. Like literally cindered two by fours, like 
fucking surreal. And I had a generator going and then was playing tunes through like headphones on my phone kind of thing. And uh, practice for the audition literally in the burned out shell of my house because like, we weren't even living here. So weird auditions. Isn't that wild? So weird. Yeah, that was, that was, uh, yeah, that was kind of strange. But I did, I will say it, it, it clicked. We all got along really well. Like they wouldn't even let me leave after it. And they just said, Hold on, they had other people lined up, and they, it was, I mean, I, I appreciated the compliment. And they, uh, That's cool. So we, even before I, like, walked out into the driveway, they were like, hey, can we have you? And, and it's had a great time. They were a lot of fun. And, and now doing the Cast Irons thing. Yeah. So. And brand new. Brand new. Yeah, First yeah, that's, that's, yeah, they, they, um, you know, they, they had been playing with the strummer Neil for a good amount of time. And very talented guy. Layered some great vocals with Eric, um, but he had some stuff he had to take care of, and mm-hmm. they kind of parted ways. And you know, Eric had asked me if I'd kind of want to work in and help them out with a couple of gigs, and that kind of evolved into the full-time thing. And I think musically, it's a it's a great match. Um, you know, my my big challenge as a drummer that can sometimes annoy people is is that I, I don't exactly play traditional. Um, I'm not a straightaway snare hi hat cymbal guy. I tend to play my toms a lot, and uh, I—that's just something I've always kind of liked. Thanks. I think there's too many drummers who rely on their cymbals. Too yeah. Much. Oh yeah, and it's funny. I actually um, doing some recording work with with Jen. We we I can't remember. I've I've ruled him out of my thought process. Um, <laughs> the producer was like mystified, but he's like, "Don't you play your cymbals? Don't you play a snare?" And it like because you know it it rumbles right. It, yeah, it's yeah. it's more tribal and it's thumpy and and it to me it's sonic and it drives it, but it's it's not. It's not traditional. Like okay, I'm gonna do my my you know. Thin crash accent now, and it, I just—it was just never my thing. I, I don't know what it was. I just never, never got into it. So, so yeah, the cast iron things, uh, incredibly talented. Ben a- Eric, you know, it's funny talk about the Lemmings thing. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that makes Eric and that band incredibly good is that they're constantly exploring the musical space. Right? And I think some bands that some bands overly rely on their song catalog, they stop exploring. They definitely have a different uh, melding of sounds. Yeah, you know, there's definitely a lot of different things coming through Eric. Yeah, you can tell. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, yeah. He's got a lot. I mean, he's at, <clears throat> at times it'll be now. Now, granted, you don't want to. Sounds so musically disjointed. Yeah, I mean, you, you need that. You don't want to, you know what I mean? Like, you don't want to sound like, okay, here's my soul song. Now here's my Americana song. It's still cool to to hear a band and go, oh yeah, that's that. Yeah, yeah. You know, for them to be all over the place, it's not, yeah, it's not a good thing. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, you need you need to kind of weave. You need to weave those influences together to a cohesive set of mm-hmm. tunes. Um, but it, I I do think the ability to. Um, grind through and continue to constantly kind of look at creating new music is a, is a critical path for anybody to succeed, right? Because... It's tough. Yeah. I mean, uh, he, obviously, Eric, 
superiorly talented at, yeah, yeah. at songwriting. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, yeah. And he's obviously a talented guitar player. Yeah. You know, artist in general. Yeah. I don't think he never seems to have a problem with new material. Yeah. You know, he just he, he just has talent. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Some for for me, or and for I think for a lot of people, well, for me. It's fucking. Sometimes you're just like, what the fuck? Where do I go from here? Like at, after recording this record and everything, I'm like, I think I just want to. I don't know what to do now. Yeah, I've yeah. done that. I've done this part. What do I do next? Yeah. Do I just go back and just start at the beginning again? Pretty much what you're doing, right? Yeah. yeah. So like, what the? F- <laughs> it's it's kind of daunting and frustrating and you know. Just, yeah. So. Oh yeah. Well, you know, it's and it's funny as a drummer. You you. To most drummers, I can't say this about all drummers, you, you, you're not, I mean, you're writing rhythmic patterns, mm-hmm. but you're never writing the starting point, for the most part. Like, you, you periodically it happens, but yeah. not all the time. It's rare. So, so, you know, I certainly could never critique somebody for their, you know, Sorry. their song manufacturing yeah. speed. <laughs> it, 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 you know, again, when I look back at the Lemmy, and one of the things I kind of knew, um, about why that band was never going to make it. I, I literally knew at that time when I walked out, I was like, this band's never going to make it. Um, it. It When you start to go back, like, we started to look at older, oh, maybe we should rework this one. That, hey, we haven't played that in like a year and a half. It's like, oh my God. If, if <laughs> you know what I mean? When, yeah. if, you're, if you're like going through back catalog to find your shit versus, hey, let's just, Let's just see what happens. Yeah. Let's just throw shit down and see what happens. And and we just didn't do that well. The whole slew of songs that we've written that I want to completely forget. Yeah. Don't want to play them ever again. Yeah, but you can take pieces and parts of it. Sure, sure. Which like, is not a bad idea. Right. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of stitch them together, patchwork quilt. Uh, but yeah, it's it. You know, songwriting being prolific. Um, it's a really interesting thing. So. You know, I think in this cast iron gig, um, you know, and like I said, really psyched that I actually, I think I can infuse an interesting level of energy mm-hmm. into I what so. I do. You I know? think the songs are going to be very different yeah. with you being a kid, so, for sure. And I, Which is a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, it, I, it, I just need to make sure, and, and I find this about good writing, like, you need to let it breathe. I can't stomp on it. Right. Yeah, can't be too busy. Nope. And I, I think most musicians, not most, but I think a good number of musicians have a problem. Yeah. With want to, hey, I want to show off everything I can do. It's like restraint. And maybe using, you know, you learn that with old age. Um, Having a degree of restraint really does kind of bring out the best parts. Particularly with like melody lines, certain transitions, like mm-hmm. you just you don't want to stomp all over it. It's funny. If we're talking about drumming. I hate fucking drum solos. Fucking sure. hate drum I think solos. Most people fucking think they're. I don't know. I see drummers that I'm friends with, and they'll be like, "Hey, look at this!" Like, and it's like. Is it because you don't feel important? Is that why? I don't. I don't know where that comes from. I really don't. And I, you know, I kind of look at that, and it's like, I love it tasty fucking rhythmic progression more than anybody but mm-hmm. in this is always the I'm like if it sounds like somebody's falling down the fucking stairs it's <laughs> <you're>, no 
right? Because yeah. no, sometimes I, it's like double kick. It's like whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, I mean, this isn't. You're not John Bonham. This is not 1975. <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah. Oh. I think most people have that. They know. Yeah. They know it's in bad taste. Yeah, yeah. But there are some people who do know it and still do it just because their own ego can't fucking. Yeah. Just, you know. And then you know it's funny you talk about the Bonham thing. You know the 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 one thing you you do. When you look at some of those musicians of old, like a Bonham or you know Zepp in the day and stuff, yeah, look how Spartan their fucking rigs were. Like they didn't have mountains of stuff on the stage, yeah. and and it's know. so weird to see them now. Like if you if you go and if you go go back go look at nineteen seventy one or sixty nine yeah. when they're on whatever fucking English talk show they were on playing you know breakdown. Uh, then go look at them playing, what, what is it, eight years ago now? Yeah, yeah. When they played. The rigs are fucking yeah. twice the size. I'm like, well, why, why are you changing what you knew worked? Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. It's like... Yeah, it's, it, it, is, it is kind of that less is more kind of philosophy. It was funny, Eric and I went to go see, I don't know if you saw that we went to go see Mike Viola. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't know if you knew, I, mean, I don't think you and I chatted about speaking of like older bands, he was playing the circuit back when the Lemmings were out. He was in a band called Snap. There you go. There's, a, there's one for... So there's the, one question I usually ask everybody. is like, what what band, and I don't know if story, what band or what artist from that era would you want people not to forget about? Like, if you can pick one, or it doesn't have to... Okay. It actually, it wouldn't be Snap, because he actually got better. So at any rate, so, <laughs> so Mike, Mike Viola, like... He was kind of playing into the time. It's all a journey, right? So he was just kind of learning along the way, and, mm-hmm. and but he has just become a kind of master craftsman of incredibly infectious indie rock songs, right? That are lyrically really interesting, and and but he's just got this little narrow following of people, and he and he writes for like Brian Adams and stuff. Oh, like. sure. He does a lot of production work. Yeah, you should look at his background. And uh, but he grew up local. And, uh, you know, he played the circuit at the time. He was mm-hmm. around for a bunch. And then he moved to New York and did Candy Butchers, which was a killer band. Yeah, they, they did really well. And then he moved to L.A. and became very much like a guy behind the knobs. And he's stepping back out right now. Um, by the way, I'll, I'll put one little plug in here for one of the brilliant pieces of work that I always thought nobody ever listened to. He did a song, and I'm not kidding when I say this, he did an album with Mandy Moore called uh, it's called like a Mandalay or something like a name remember when like Garth Brooks came out with a different fucking name yep, like yep, it, yep. it almost kind of like <laughs> it's a different identity yeah um, alter ego and, and Mike Viola co-wrote or wrote most of that album and played and produced it and it is a fucking masterpiece and really? nobody nobody knows it and it's just one of those. He, that's when I was like, "Holy shit, this guy's good." So, um, yeah, he was in a band called Snap. So, it, if I would say bands that I wouldn't want people to forget, it's probably two bands. One of which we played with, and I already mentioned, and the other I, I never get to play with. Uh, probably O Positive. Ever hear of them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there were some that were kind of before my circuit time. Um, human sexual response. 
pastiche stompers. I mean, it was just it was just some killer bands at the time. But at least they were playing around. Uh, I didn't have to be like a little bit. Yeah, uh, Cave Dogs were probably the other one. I I thought the hmm. Cave Dogs were freaking brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Not to look well. And you haven't heard? No, never heard. Damn. And well, and like I was, when I when we release this, we'll have a show note here. And yeah. I'll, I'll look up all the stuff that we talked about and hopefully put some links. Oh, cool. And yeah, yeah. You'll also put you know a link for okay. cast iron. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, cake dogs were. Uh, it, it. I will tell you, it, it. The the, the list, of bands, that you don't want to see forgotten is at that time is, is long. Oh, it sure. was there was there was so many of them, that, you know, bands would watch other bands like you you be fans of other bands you'd mm-hmm. follow around like look yeah. they were just but everybody kind of had. One of the things I remember, like most of all, there was very little. It didn't feel redundant at all. Like people hmm. didn't snap into a genre and beat it to death, and all of a sudden there was five bands like the same thing. Like they, they, there was little nuances and and different approaches to original songwriting across all of those that were just really different. I think every era has obviously its own nuances, and then. Obviously, the derivative shit. Yeah, but I usually I feel like that comes after it's hit its peak, yeah. and now it's going down, and then something else is coming back up or whatever. You know, it better be something else soon. <laughs> yeah, I, that's one thing. I I mean, I don't, and it's probably because I'm just older now, but I just don't hear anything yeah. anymore. I mean, I, I try really hard to find something new all yeah. the time. So I I think a lot of times they may be as much struggling to get the exposure and maybe less about their their ability to be seen. Mm-hmm. You know, like they, they, they're just trying to get their music out and they just can't find the vehicle, right? Um, one of the bands you may have seen me talk about from time to time that's brand spanking new that I think is phenomenally good is a, uh, a band called Delco. No, and uh, they're kind of out in this metro west area, and they. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It it. To be honest with you, like I don't even I couldn't even necessarily peg the style. Oh, that's good. And, and which is good. Good. That's yeah. actually a, a really good thing. But they, you know, there's uh, an incredibly interesting style. That the lead guitarist, this guy named Austin, he he writes a good amount of their tunes as well, and he's got this like fingering style that he does on his uh, guitar that, that I, I can't even describe it but it, it you know it's it's got an incredible dynamic to it uh, ebbs and flows and stuff really really cool can sometimes be atmospheric and then sometimes really intense and uh, it's a yeah, really really interesting band so they're one but again I'm sure there's a gazillion bands out there it's just finding the time to see them, and then another one. By the way, speaking of local stuff, that is really, really good is um, a band called If We Go At All. That uh, has this. It's almost like a. Uh, I don't know if they throttle me for saying this. There's almost mm-hmm. elements that remind me of a. It's like a really aggressive version of The Cure. <laughs> <laughs> It's, I, don't know how, it, I don't know how I imagine that. Yeah, well, it's it, it it's just 
the delivery and the pacing, like it, you know, you just kind of break it down from a rhythmic and strumming style. It's just it's moving, and uh, but it's it's got this spooky, almost new romantics kind of overtony flavor. Yeah, it's just really, hmm. really another really, really neat band. Alright, I'll put it up there. Yeah. Sounds cool. Yeah, very cool. How do you feel? Awesome. Think we got it? I think we do. Cool. Thank you very much. Yeah, if you got what you need. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. There's a darkness within everyone. Never 